Hey! It's Michael Rosso and John Fidelity. Hey! This is our vinyl record podcast. Uh, I thought it was the vinyl record. Vinyl record podcast. Da. Uh, we talk about vinyl records. Pilot episode number th- number two, because we're not like on our feet yet. No, as you can tell. Yeah, so. <laughs> You're actually laying on your back now. Get up. Uh, this episode, uh, John and I are going to talk about some records that we purchased at the second Saturday uh, vinyl record show Which is like our big event every month It's our it? big event because we just can like roll out of bed And get in each of our cars And like just without right. even putting the foot to the gas Just roll down yeah. to Wayne, New Jersey Which mm-hmm. is close by to where we are It's and like a, a middle point between our homes I And think. I believe this is put on by Fred Falk Fred Falk Fred, yeah. Fred Falk He's, yeah, he, uh, he does the third Saturday show in the city I found oh, out, get out At a Holiday Inn, yeah The very uh, next Day or the second Saturday. I don't know. You have to check it out. You, you go to secondsaturday.com and you'll find out all the info if, if you're not, interested. If it's not there, you Google the Google. second Saturday record show, yeah, Wayne, right. New Jersey. The Google. And I think if you look in your town for folks listening, you'll find that there are record shows all over the place. Yeah. Did you know that Record Store Day, which is once a year in April, started in Maryland, Baltimore? Really? Baltimore, Maryland. I didn't know that. Yeah, some dude. All this stuff's online. You can't believe everything you read online, but I'm sure that's true. How long ago was the first record store day? Uh, Mid two thousands, like two thousand five or six. So it's really that recent. Yeah, it's pretty pretty recent. Uh, I just want everyone to know that John and I do not. We're not claiming to be experts here on vinyl records. We're just uh, collectors enjoying, and we we spin our wax Mm -hmm. in our homes and Mm -hmm. and really really enjoy it. And I'm starting to get into collecting. John's a little more into collecting right now. Yes, I am. But I'm dangerous. Equally uh, collecting in my own way, manner, shape, form. You could write to us at, this is, by the way, a spin-off of the Film Photography Podcast. That's why our email address is podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. <laughs> that's our email address. You can send us letters. Speaking of letters, I want to thank mm-hmm. everyone that's written yeah. in. Very encouraging. And that's why we're yeah. continuing the Vinyl Record Podcast. We, we've got way more letters than I ever expected. This one is from C.J. Bryant. He says, Dear Mike and John, I would love for you guys to continue with the Vinyl Record Podcast. Yeah. My wife, on the other hand, may not be in favor of it. Yeah. <laughs> she can join the, the list with my wife. Or, all joking aside, I'm going to be 34 in September. And I love film photography and vinyl records. I got into records at a very young age listening to my mother's and father's collection. Hmm. Van Halen, ST. What's ST? I don't know. Stone Temple Pilots, STP. S forward slash T. I don't know. And Kiss. Kiss! It says Destroyer. The greatest band in the land. I didn't start, <laughs> I didn't start collecting till 2009. Yeah. I collect mostly new modern records from the bands that I currently listen to. I am into metal. Hardcore. Post-hardcore. Rock. Alt-rock. Punk. Post-punk. Jeez. Okay, I'll stop. Keep at it, and I hope you guys decide to continue. Well, for now, we are CJ. Thank mm. you very much. Yeah. I have a letter from Martin. Martin Rubel. Mike and John, finally, your vinyl record podcast. It was terrific. I really liked it. I've searched for good record podcasts, and they are hard to find. Yours has the natural tone from two experienced podcast. Yeah, real experience. Yours. <laughs> Yours has the natural tone from two experienced podcast talents to go along with the passion for records you share with many of your listeners. My main interests and topics in vinyl records include gear. You're not too big on gear, are you? Uh, no, I find yeah. a piece of gear that works. 
and, and I just play records. You play a record, yeah. yeah. Well, Martin loves to talk about needles, counterweights, brands, years, models, history of playing records. This stuff gives me a headache. Yeah, it's, when, a, lot, the, it's a lot to consider. When the guy across the street, literally across the street at yeah. Flipside Records here in Pompton Lakes, he talks about weights, and I'm yeah. like, oh, my head wants to spin. Yeah, you don't want to listen. Uh, so number two on Martin's list is process, the world behind producing records, Ooh. especially including the pressings, matrix numbers, and history of specific records. That I'm into. Yes. As we may get a chance to talk about later. Buying and selling, number three, four records you bought this week. That's what we're going to talk about soon. Yes. Records you are looking for. We can also broach that subject. Five, caring for your records. How do you clean them? I think we talked about that, haven't we? What's the machine you use that I got from you? Dishwasher. It's called Dishwasher. It's, it's the very plastic. lowest end. And I love it. Yeah, it's easy. I love it. Yeah. Interviews with whoever loves records. I could go on and on. In your first episode, I was excited to hear you touch on several of the topics listed above. Good. Thank yes. you. Please keep going. I will listen and am recruiting friends that love to listen. Awesome. Yes. This week, I bought Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys at a thrift store in Salida, Colorado. So yes. You know, matrix number for all you geeks. DT1-2458. A9 something something two. <laughs> Which I think is the 1966 version. Hmm. Did that oh. come out in a mono? Uh, 1966. Yeah. It's mono. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. It's mono re- records are, are very well sought after. It's the original mono. <sighs> nice. 18 buck. Good deal, pal. Yeah, you got a good deal, Martin. Sure. I also shoot a lot of film with my cameras. Thank you. Thanks to you guys. Love it. Yes. Attached to pics from my Icoflex 2. Pics. Okay, this one's from Tim Norman. He says, my brother John Norman might be a great connection for you. He has a great blog on vinyls called TurntableTales.com. TurntableTales. TurntableTales.com. He has been a little lacking lately due to a lot of things going on in his life. Oh, jeez. But maybe he could use a shot in the arm. He knows a lot about records and has thousands in his collection. Check out his blog. You may even want to do a Skype interview. You can email him, and he gave us his email. There is an there is also an old record I remember buying from a schoolmate mm-hmm. back in the 60s for $3. It is, it is probably my most treasured record. I had never heard of the band until the day he sold it to me. Mm-hmm. The band is called SRC. It stands for Scott Richard Case. The album is called Milestones. Very psychedelic, but I still love it today. Cool. My favorite is the final cut on side B. Uh, Peace out, and look forward to the next final podcast. Thanks, Tim. So I have a letter here from Jason Burke. and I I don't know if he's answering a question we put out there in the last podcast, but he says, Great to hear records and vinyl on the podcast. Turntables need the phono input as the cartridge puts out a very low voltage, so the signal needs to be amplified more than a CD output, not just about the ground. So... Maybe he's helping to clarify something we, s- oh, we talked misspoke about how, the, about. how the fact that you buy people will buy a turntable at the thrift yeah. stop and think they could just like plug it in. Well, they may not even think they need speakers. People just don't know. Oh, come on. No, think of like a laptop. You get a laptop and everything's in there. They're so. like, it opens up, but I don't see any keyboard. Exactly. So you need a tuner. Yes. To plug it into. And With a phono a new, amp. Yes, because the phono amp had that ground wire. That's what we discussed last yes. time. He says it. Well, he says it. It's a very low signal, not just the ground, but it's also that the the needle and cartridge puts out a very low signal that needs to be boosted. For me, I had to buy a separate phono amp for my turntable because my receiver did not have a phono input. Okay. So that's a specific... Uh, you know, set of circuits that needs to be in there to boost the signal. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm talking like I know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Kind of really 
do and don't. We know how to hook it up. So anyways, fun to listen to. Thanks from Jason Burke. Thanks, Jason. This is from Matt Melcher. He says, I listened to the vinyl podcast, brought back some memories to my former life working in record stores. Oh, yeah. Wow. I started in 1985 and worked in some some sort of music store until 1997. I saw what I thought was was the end of vinyl when all the major labels had us return all of our vinyl. Oh. By that time, the CD had taken over. It was December 1987 when the six major labels told the music stores that they would no longer ship vinyl records. It's the day the music died. Bastards. We, we had to return them all by the end of January 1988. A little bit about the Super Saver series. Super Saver series. <laughs> Each label had something like Super Saver. That was the series of mid-price records mm-hmm. that was used to sell older catalog items. Mm. When an artist would release a new record, their old stuff would be sold as a Super Saver. Super Saver. In order to pick up a few extra sales. They would have cheaper packaging and no extra goodies. Yeah, non-gatefold, non-lyric sheets. The store would get them at a reduced price and still make a few bucks. Mm. In the mid-80s, a new release album would be priced at 8 bucks. They moved to 10 with the acceptance of CDs. Mm. New release CDs would retail at 15 while the vinyl and tapes would sell at 10 That was the time to buy, baby. I recently dug out my old Techniques turntable and the records I still have and enjoy them very much. The the fact that so so many titles never made a transition to digital Mm. is a reason to keep your vinyl around. Another reason is that almost all the stores selling vinyl are locally owned and filled with analog geeks Mm. just like me. I want to give a shout out to Mr. Zero's in Roseville, Minnesota and Wayback Records in Des Moines, Iowa. Wow, this guy gets around, Minnesota, Iowa. Thanks for all you do, and look forward to what happens with the new show. What show? Matt Melcher. Matt Melcher. I have a, I have a letter here from Jim Melcher. Did he say it a brother? Or was that a different that letter? That was a different guy. That was oh Tim God. Norman. Well, this is Jim Melcher. Okay. How, how weird is that? Nice. Well, wait a minute. It says Minneapolis area. Maybe it's his brother. You got a brother, Jim? All right, dear Mike and John, I enjoyed the little teaser version of the potential new podcast. It seems like the idea could work. Mm. I live in the Minneapolis area, and Mm. I found myself imagining interviews with the impresarios responsible for the various record stores over the years. We still have at least a couple of the original representatives standing, the electric fetus. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Electric fetus. Down in the valley. Uh, and these record stores have new and used vinyl. My wife once worked with the founder of the Wax Museum, gone since the mid-90s, and I could see him being a good interview. Hey, maybe you could interview him, Jim. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you could be our man in Minneapolis. Just bring your cassette player down there. Yeah, Radio Shack. Cassette player. Cassette player, press, press play, play record. and record at the same time and interview him. Here's another suggestion. Then you could have turntable reviews, preamp reviews, that sort of thing. I have a little two preamp that you can attach to your turntable, plug in the headphone, and you're ready to go. Almost as convenient as Boombox. Almost. Boom. Then you could interview the dealers of all the great gear. We have one near my house, needledoctor.com. Oh, I went to them. You did? Yeah, I was looking for needles and stuff. The guy across the street has every needle you ever want. Yeah, you think so? I know so. Okay. Uh, who would probably be a Natch as a sponsor, too. Yeah. Well, the guys I talk about, there's a great little store, and I'm forgetting the name of the store right now, in Verona, New Jersey. They have all high-end stereo equipment. Yeah, I bought an RA-12 there. Okay. Which was a considerable amount of money. Nice. But he's like, oh, yeah, you could buy needles to upgrade your uh, Riga RP-1. Uh, you could buy the cartridge, 100 bucks. Oh, you get a different needle Michael, and it upgrades your player? Your, up, your... Upgrade your cartridge. He's like, you could spend four or $500 on a, car, on a ah, cartridge and needle. That's cocking crazy. I don't know. 
It's it's all you know. It's all increments. When you start getting really that like incrementally crazy about vinyl, in my opinion, this is my opinion. Yeah. I think it's over for you. Then you just like why? Because then you're like, oh, do you, like like just just put out a needle, a standard needle, and just enjoy it. Okay. Well, there's two different schools of thought. Plus, you, we're dealing with vintage vinyl that we're mm-hmm. cleaning, and the, yes. there are pops and whatnot. Yeah, so you're going to hear it whether you're listening to a $300 cartridge you know or a $10 I cartridge. Should say, if that makes you happy, then great. That's the thing. If it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt anybody, do it. Right. And you can finance it, do it. It's going to be a while before I can afford a $300 cartridge, though. So. Uh, then, of course, you could interview artists who have shown a particular preference for or affinity for vinyl. Who, like Duff? Duff who? Duff D- McKagan? Yeah, we can interview him about records. He was, uh, I saw an article, he was in a record store. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Jack White. He's a big vinyl guy. Right. Wilco, they always press everything on vinyl. Yep. If you decide to follow through on this podcast, I can't wait for your pre- and post-record store day episodes. Ooh, those will be fun. Not really. Yeah? What's the matter it's with record you? record store day, it's, too, it's hyped up way too much. There's a lot going on. How many releases were there? Over 100. Get a little crazy. Next, Over next year, we, we should go to Westwood. It was mellow. Yeah. It wasn't all crazy. No line outside. Oh, really? And those guys are really on the and ball. And you got everything you wanted. That's the music merchant in Westwood, New Jersey. All right, real quick. What did you get for Music Store Day? I, store I went day. there to celebrate the day, not looking for anything specifically. What? You were going to drink champagne and have a hot dog? What, how are you going to celebrate? Uh, I just was hanging out. Then I just realized, oh, my God, it's Record Store Day. And I was in the Westwood area, and I stopped in. And I picked up some stuff they just had left, mm. which was the Frank Sinatra 10-inch. Mm. Uh, big 10-inch. Yeah, the big. <laughs> 33? 45. Uh, let's see what it is. <laughs> I'll show you the two days I picked up. Not to get off the track. Ooh, look at that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, what's it called? Songs for Young Lovers. That's a 10-inch replica of the original 33. release. Yes. It's a 33. And look at this. Stan Getz and what's his name? Joao, Joe, Gilberto. 76? <laughs> oh, these are selections. There was a, uh, I guess, a full, a long player. I don't player. know if this ever came out. There's a long player of this record. There is? Yes. And these are selections from that long player. Oh, well, these are Record Store Days specials. You're a Stan Getz guy, huh? But I didn't go. Yeah, I love Stan Getz. But I didn't go to Record Store Days specifically to get in line to be like, to get like that, you know, mm. whatever. It, I, it, it freaks me out, I Record did. Store Day. I did. Like, it doesn't, like, I'm not, I don't like standing in line for shit. Mm. I don't like, sta- like standing in a queue to get like, you know. Being all nervous, like, I'm not going to get what I want. Yeah, I just, I just, it's not my thing. Well, I got the gold frap. White vinyl, Felt Mountain, right? Is that what it's called? Felt Mountain? Yep, Felt Mountain. That's awesome. I got uh, Camilla's Little Secret, which was a 45, 7-inch 45, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that had two grooves on it. had a hidden groove. Okay. So that when you played the song and it got to the solo, depending upon which groove it went into, you would hear either a telephone conversation of Camilla with, uh, what was his name? The Prince there. Uh, Prince Valiant. Ch- Prince Charles. Prince Valiant. <laughs> Or a guitar solo by Robert Fripp. Um, and the other thing I got was a uh, Decemberists red vinyl reissue of their album, Picturesque. As a matter of fact. Heavyweight vinyl, 200 gram, baby. Oh, you're into Brubeck too, huh? Oh. Mike is rifling through his record collection right now. Oh, what's that issue of Love Supreme by John Coltrane? Is that a reissue? No. Got a barcode? Uh, take a look. Uh. Quiet Nights. You got that? That's an awesome album. Miles Davis. George Shearing. Let me see the back of that. Is that Impulse? Whoa! Mike just handed me a copy of Love Supreme. Yeah, the dude from the record store told the me that. Impulse. That's, that's his Sergeant Pepper. 
Oh, oh, totally. This, if you're going to start with John Coltrane, start with Love Supreme, for sure. Don't get your fingerprints all over it. <laughs> Whoa. Do you know what pressing this is? No. This looks like a first press. I think it's first press. Wow. I got it for a song on the bay. How much? wasn't much at all. How much? Ten bucks. Oh, you suck. Really? Yeah, but these but, albums go. For but like see, 50 you start record store day and exclusives. Like when, the more research I do, the more crazy I get. You can put it so that this is sticking out. A seventy-seven eight. George Shearing and Nat King Cole did an album together. George Shearing and Nat King Cole. Oh, really? And I looked it up, and like my brain exploded because I found out that and originally when it was released, Capitol's yeah. sending out bonus LPs. Oh, really? You buy the LP, you get a second LP in there, which had. One side had uh, Nat King Cole, like picks from Nat King Cole, and the other side had George Shearing, like cuts from the together. Other, uh, yeah, no, no, uh, cuts from their other LPs. Oh, I see. A George Shearing side, but their favorite picks. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So now I want to get it. <laughs> Gotta get it. But let's get back to on task here. All right. Anyways, <clears throat> okay. Well, now that I've outlined the first season of your new podcast, thank you, Jim. Uh, let me tell you my favorite moment of the intro episode. Oh. John mentioned John's mention of Remember the Future, which I bought on vinyl the first week or so it came out. Wow. I had no idea this band even existed when they were out. Uh, it was probably my fourth or fifth favorite prog album after Lark's Tongue in Aspics, Aspic by King Crimson. Yes Songs, which is a three LP live album by Yes. Beautifully packaged, by the way. Roger Dean artwork, booklet with photos, everything. Which might be cheating because it's a six-sided live album spinning the best of Yes and Rick Wakeman's Wives of King Henry VIII. Horrible album. Sorry, Jim, you may love it, but... Uh, thanks for reminding me of Nectar, John. You're welcome, Jim. <laughs> uh, now a suggestion. I believe you can play short samples of music you are mentioning without acquiring rights. No. No? Yeah, hey, you looked at this, Jim? You? Jim, yeah, it says, I bring that up because giving listeners a little taste of the jam sound, for example, would be very helpful to those of us who cannot recall what they were like. I did some heavy research, no, and no I'm, good. I'm, I, I, no I have a do. lot of knowledge of copyright law because I've had to research tons and tons of public domain motion pictures over the years, Yeah, and we, you know, I'm in touch with a copyright lawyer. It's as simple as this. Yeah. No. <laughs> the, whatever you're playing, everyone thinks like you play a clip, like a, like you're a radio guy, like hey, you know, under like no, it, the, it you can't it, play eight seconds. No, it belongs to somebody else, and you need permission to do that. Yeah, I guess. So you could either a get permission, like I did with the Smooth Sailors. Yeah. Smooth Sailors is one of, is one of John's bands. John plays in this band. They record original music. And I made, made an agreement with the Smooth Sailors to use their music in po our podcasts. Mm -hmm. You know, equally we promote them. And you may make an argument and say, well, whoever we're going to play, like Wilco, we promote. Definitely. But you're running the risk that that person is going to not want their music, music represented in our show. For example. Like, I want those two dopes to promote my music. So there was a gentleman, I do not have the URL right now, I'm very sorry, but I will look it up for a future episode. There's a gentleman who has a podcast, and his, his podcast was a about using copyrighted music, and he talks about he uses a clip of music to open his show by uh, who's that? Boingo, band? Boingo. The, the boys are back in town. The boys. Tin Lizzy. No, oh no, 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 it wasn't that. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Oh, What's yeah. their big? Take care of business. That's it. That's the beginning. So he did an ASCAP license. Oh really? Yep. He said it took a while. He had to keep calling them because you know yeah, low on lazy. the priority list. Oh my god. 
Sorry, ASCAP. You guys lazy It's over there? true because uh, when I worked corporate, we used to have to get licenses yes. for when we played music in, yes. in the main ballroom. Yes. And these people were not on the ball. Sorry yes. to say. Bottom line is need a license. So let's say this final podcast had cues. Mm. In other words, you pull out a record and we actually played, I don't know, 20 seconds. Right. We would have to do a music cue sheet for that episode oh, listing, just like we do for movies, yeah. listing the cut and how many seconds we used, send it to ASCAP or BMI or mm. both, pay. They would charge us. Isn't there like a flat fee you can pay? It probably is, but I haven't looked into it. Uh, it's just easier for us to blab. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I can tell just, you this. Just go to the, to the YouTube and listen the to a clip. At, Jim. Jim. The amount of post-production involved with putting music in also. Yeah, unless we did it live, which yeah. would be fun. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, but maybe in the Could future. We'll, we'll look into it. Remember the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the answer is no. And YouTube, you go to YouTube and yeah. you type in any band you like. Like I do. You know, I type in Nat King Cole. You know, let's say like Nat King Cole, Love is the Spunder thing, full yeah, album. Right. That is totally illegal. It is. I see no reason why YouTube allows this to happen. And granted, Unless they pay like a flat fee to the... Granted, ASCAP. it's convenient, but, you know, that's another topic. We'll talk, yeah. we'll, we will talk about it later. Yeah. You can always write to us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Humana, humana, humana. In case you just walked into the room, turned the radio on. We said, are, hey, what? <laughs> we're an offshoot of the film, film photography podcast. Who's next? Leonard Green. Yes. <clears throat> it said, Leonard. definitely worth listening about vinyl records, and please continue. Your next podcast yes. venture should be about financial planning and how to cut it close and retire with the bare minimum of savings. These hobbies of mine are getting expensive. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, yeah, just stop buying records and cameras, Leonard. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. we talk about the second Saturday. When I go into second Saturday, my goal is to spend no money, which means buy oh, $1, $2, or $3 LPs. John does not put this on him because John's no. buying. He's looking for specific labels and first, first pressings. pressings mint. And John's telling me that he doesn't mind because he feels he's making an investment. Yes. That hopefully your children, when off. you have passed, yes. <laughs> will be smart enough not to just like use it as a frisbee. I'm, I'm trying to tra- train them now not to sell the whole collection for like 50 bucks sell to some each. guy. Yes, right. As a matter of fact, I'm getting so anal about it. I'm putting on some of the better records I'm buying what I paid for it in the year I bought it. That's a great idea. Just so right. you have a frame of reference. Are your children allowed to touch your LPs? Yeah, they can touch them if they have respect. LPs are pretty resilient. I got to say, unless you throw them on the floor. I like Because where my uh, turntable is, it's kind of in a little cubby. Yes. So the, the plastic thing doesn't open up all the way. Yep. And I got to kind of fudge it in yep. there. And once or twice, the thing has come down and scratched it because I'm too lazy to just take it off. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God. And I look at it, nothing. I'm talking about kids' greasy fingerprints. Uh, I know. So I'm just saying, well, fingerprints can be washed off. Yeah. As long as they don't scratch it or, you know. What else you got over there? Shove crumbs Who's in that? the grooves. Who's that? Who's this? Who's yeah, that? he's nobody. Who's that? Uh, this is uh, from Jeremiah. Okay. Uh, he says, Dear Michael, I just got done listening to your podcast and the Vinyl Rec podcast. Oh, I great. like it. I hope you keep doing it. Will you be doing reviews of record players? I guess in the future we can talk to people who know about that stuff. Yeah, we'll have to have a specialist on. A specialist, yeah. We'll find a specialist. We're, we're just getting our feet here. And once we yeah. find some other people, we'll find our Matt and Leslie. Yes. People who are, you know, very interested in people maybe the gear. People in the field for years. <laughs> yes, who know what's going on. Tyler Brocato. Hello. I love listening to it. 
<laughs> Great. I love records and anything analog. I'm pretty new to records, but love them. Everything else analog I've grown up with. I'll be 20 years old on the on July 27th. This year? Next year? This year. Happy, happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. I would love to hear more on records, on record, just like you guys do with film. Would you mind to also hearing about otter analog topics if you're interested? Cassettes, VHS. Uh, I don't... I don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe. A little bit. Eight tracks, maybe. Maybe we'll touch upon it, but certainly yeah. not. We'll reminisce about them, but we're not going to like go into depth, I don't think. I love what you do with the podcast in the store. I've been listening for nine months now and love it. Awesome. Yo, that's great. Learning more about film photography than ever. Uh, I'm glad I went back to film and the all analog thing. Thank you guys for all you do. Love shopping from you getting teary-eyed you guys have a great collection and love that the proceeds go to support this it does thanks tyler yeah it's all good it's all good it all goes back it does it really does circle is not unbroken yes oh this is a long one maybe you want to read okay i'll read this this is from this is our last letter by the way in case you guys at home are like oh when are you gonna get to the records talk about records this is from paul glazowski he says a good spinoff of the fpp that's the film photography podcast when I buy records, I, I would almost always get them online because chances were that a local shop like Flipside... What? Maybe he's local, I don't yeah. know. Flipside would not stock so many new items of interest to me. But I haven't taken the plunge in a while because it's evident to me that the record companies and retailers are taking a cynical view mm. on the resurgence or fad... Totally cashing in. ...as they're regularly charging twice the cost or more of CDs, yep. even with a fairly... CDs? Really? Twice the cost of CDs, yeah. Oh, oh. CDs are cheaper now. Oh, yeah. Even with the fairly widely available knowledge that vinyl records can cost marginally more to produce, distribute, etc. than CDs, Mm. my take is that they, by and large, of course, not all, are determined to take the eagerest of fans who will pay arms and or legs. Or both. Like Ticketmaster, he says. Yeah, it's true. For the premium stuff, the chance that the mastering process for most records is <clears> superior <throat> to CDs or other lossless media is scant. Da, 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 well, what da, he's da. saying is that the record companies, there's no love. They're just trying to cash in on the obsession. Well, They're uh, trying to ride the uh, scree uh, you here. You I seem very much into collecting existing vinyl yes. as opposed to... Yes. I'll buy some new vinyl. I'm not a big new vinyl guy yeah i'll buy some stuff it's true i bought a repressing of going for the one by yes Mm. friday music put out their whole back catalog it was on 180 gram i wasn't that thrilled by it i was ready to get my socks knocked up my butt and i was just like i'm like oh it sounds the same same. Uh, if not even a little bit you know thinner yeah so i wasn't blown away by it so i'm not really some new artists i'll buy their stuff Mm. uh like war on drugs they're a really good band or Mm. decemberists Mm. or you know stuff like that but i'm not gonna go Buying remastered stuff. Although you buy a lot of remastered stuff, like your Nat King Cole stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm hot and cold with that. Like, yeah? Yeah, like I bought a bunch of them, and now I'm back to buying. Yeah, but you were raving stuff. about that uh, Oh, I brought you into the room. Yeah, it was amazing. Sounds uh, terrific. It was a Nat King Cole uh, reissue. Yeah, the Nat King Cole, Where Did Everyone Go? This is his uh, sad sack. <laughs> 2 a.m. in the All Alone in the Bar album. This is a reissue. Standing under a lamplight all lonely with his coat in his hand. Two 12-inch LPs, 45 RPM. It sounds spectacular. Arranged and conducted by Gordon Jenkins, who did a lot of great stuff and with Sinatra. And a huge booklet in there about the technique technique not, no. of like how they did it and the, the masters they record. You know, did the how pressing. they painstakingly went back to make it beautiful. It sounds beautiful, but quite frankly, me being a bit lazy, I know this is horrible to say, I, you know, it's a lot of... Getting a, up. It's a lot of flipping. Yeah. 
I don't really care for 12-inch 45 RPM records. But, but they sound amazing. They do sound amazing. They do. If you're in the mood for just one or two songs, you want to f- put it on. Spinning faster makes them more high quality, huh? Yes, that's what they say. Uh, so those are all the letters for today's show. What show? Uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing and you want this to continue, we do need to hear from you. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Oh. <laughs> Please do write us. Let, let us know what you think. So here, here, here it was. It was the, it was last Saturday. Yes, I get up at six a.m. Yeah. Oh, oh. roll out of bed because you had to come and get me. I got in my car. I picked up John. We we spun around to the uh, Park West Diner, Route Forty Six, sick, which we call the Silver Diner. Yeah. Uh, we got some eggs, and then we headed down to the uh, Second Saturday Record Show in Wayne, New Jersey, the Firehouse. At the <laughs> at the firehouse, early birds have to pay fifteen bucks to get in. Fifteen bucks to get in. What there. do regular people have to pay? Uh, I think it's six dollars, and then After they give 10. you coupons that you can get two off or three off. And when we left, we actually left at ten. There was a line of people. There was. There was a lot of people. Yes. We yes. missed the rush, thankfully. Yes. Uh, so, but we got some good stuff. We did. What'd you get? My first selection. I'm just pulling off the pile is. Uh, uh, a Herbie Mann. First of all, my specialty, what I love to listen to is American jazz, uh, 1950s through the early 60s. Yeah. Now, this is the family of Mann, M-A-N-N, the music of Herbie Mann. Herbie Mann always has very witty titles he, he for his does, records. He does. This is a 1961 release. Uh, it's on the Atlantic label. And I'm probably going to pass this along to my friend Joe Kolbeck. Oh, yeah. Who loves Herbie Mann. He does. Plays a mean flute. He does. He's a flute player. So, He's a jazz flautist. So this is not my, my greatest pick, but it's only personal taste. Hmm. Did you listen to it? I did. It's very enjoyable. It's very groovy. My, my, uh, the jewel in my crown for last record, sh- record show was uh, first UK pressing of Joy Division's Closer. And this is a UK band, right? So that's the UK impressive. band, yeah. Uh, they basically were one of the first uh, bands on the factory label started out of Manchester, England in the 80s. Yeah. I think this is actually the 10th record release on the factory label. It's Joy Division's second album, right before Ian Curtis snuffed out his own light. This was their well, last full building. Ah, no, nah, he put a rope around his neck. Oh. But this album is awesome. Okay. Guy wanted a lot of money for it. 75 bucks. That's what you spent? No. What did you spend? Uh, I spent 50. And okay. considering what is it worth? On eBay, these go from anywhere from 60 to 200 bucks. Okay. So I thought 50 was a pretty good deal for the record show. And it's pristine shape? I listened to it yesterday. Beautiful. How many copies of this LP do you now own? This is only my second. Okay. The first copy is like on marbleized white... Uh, okay. Vinyl, which also sounds awesome, which okay. is a limited edition pressing. Next. Next up. Oh, next up is, it's called What a Wonderful World, Louis Armstrong. And this is one of the bait-and-switch type LPs of the 1980s. What a wonderful world. Now, I, I purchased this sealed. Is that right? But I knew from looking at the artwork, what year, guess? Oh, easy. 80s. Mark, that's not me. No. I knew from the artwork that this was a late 80s release, and it was. It's a compilation released in 1988. And the thing about it, What a Wonderful World became popular in 1988 because of, what's that uh, Robin Williams? Hello, Vietnam. Oh, Good Morning, Vietnam. Good Morning, Vietnam. It was in that movie? Yes. Oh. That made it a hit all over again, so record companies were putting out, you know, Louis. Louis! However, this version of What a Wonderful World is not the version you hear in the film. Is that right? Or the version most people hear. This is is Louis on it? Yes. Okay. This is a 1970 recording. Oh, uh, so he's all old. He's like, what is that? He claims 
featuring the f- the final recording of What a Wonderful World. Wow. Ah, a record I have been coveting for a long time. Covet. Finally found it. Really excellent, that, pristine copy of Tom Waits' Frank's Wild Years. Came out in 83. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's original first pressing, nice heavyweight vinyl. It's a it's a crazy album. Even if you're a Tom Waits fan, it's a hard listen because oh, yeah. it's a concept album about a guy who goes from a small town into the city and he has a really crazy experience and he ends up going back home to a small town. But uh, there's some really awesome songs on here and it sounds so good coming out of the vinyl. I really, bet. Really, really does. All right, now, are you familiar with Tom Waits? He had a first LP, his first album before he dug like this. Well, yeah, I have CDs. I don't have any records. So I that's have a the pr- early years, Volume One and Volume Two, where he was trying to do like the folk music. Thing. So it's a put on. I, I don't know. Yes, I guess so. I've been reading a lot about Tom Waits lately because he started that barfly persona, the hobo oh, barfly. It's a character he's playing, right? So exactly, he was playing a character, and he kind of developed this persona where he would tell these elaborate stories. Right. And actually, for I think his second or third album, they they turned the studio into a bar, and they had a live audience in there, and he did his show, and people were allowed to drink and have booze, and he would talk elaborate stories gotcha. in between the songs and sing these barroom songs. It's a great album, Nighthawks at the Diner, two LP live record, but Frank's Wild Years, awesome. Next up, uh, this is a, an album by. Uh Stan Getz. Now, I bought this because... Um, he always has those like abstract paintings yeah. on the covers. This huh? says, Exciting and poignant improvisations by Stan Getz, playing with a variety of all-stars. When I saw who he was playing with, Lionel Hampton, Oscar Peterson, Ray Brown, and Herb Ellis. Really? I knew this was, uh, was going to wow. be a treat. Let me see that price. Now, this is... Four dollars. What a steal. Uh, no, I paid less. Oh. I paid like three or two dollars for oh, this. Oh, my God. This is a compilation album, 1966, hmm. and it's on the Verve VSPS like imprint. Hmm. So basically, VSP Verve, they put out a series of LPs. So this one was Volume Two, Stan Getz. See, yeah. VSP Two. Yeah. And I just looked up VSP One was uh, Woody Herman. Hmm. Number three was Johnny Hodges. Johnny Hodges. Four was Gene Krupa, et cetera, and so on. Drama. So this was Verve putting out compilations. Hmm. You're, you're, see, this is what happened with me with jazz. You're, you're starting to peel beneath the layers. Because I started with Miles Davis and right. ended, went to Coltrane and okay. Bill Evans. And, you know, you hear other people that play with them. You're going to start spending a lot of money on vinyl. But I don't spend a lot of money. Well, I'm just saying, you're going to be buying lots oh, of Oh, I'll have a lot of Because your Stan Getz is going to bring you to, I don't know. Whatever. Well, I already went to Oscar Peterson. Jerry Lionel, Mulligan. Lionel Hampton. Jerry Mulligan. Jerry Mulligan, I think, played with Stan Getz, saxophone player. Mm. He's of that bebop 50s era. Chet Baker right, as well. Chet Baker is a uh, vocalist slash trumpeter. They all came from the same era. This is an interesting find. Whoa, look at that. Led Zeppelin. The weird thing about this is the guy wanted 50 bucks for it. I did not pay for it. Led Zeppelin 3. Led Zeppelin 3. It's the 77 reissue. Okay. The cover is the 77 reissue. The, but the record inside is the first press. How is that possible? 72. I don't know. Somebody goofed. Because when I went to go clean it, like the, outs- a, the a, outside label is SD19128, which on Discogs is 1977. And then when I was cleaning it, it's SD. That makes it worthless because number. it's mismatched. I don't know about that. Now you've got to find the other LPs. I have, I have a first edition Another one, which now, the cover is in horrible shape. Now, but why this is cover this a re- What year did this originally come out? 73, I think. And what year is this? 77? 77. 77. And what? So this is a repress. 
And it still has the fancy schmancy. Yep, still has the fancy schmancy little wheel that works. And none of the corners are ding. There's a little bit of water damage on the back there, but it's a gatefold. It opens up. Very nice. It's beautiful. And the first pressing record inside is in immaculate condition. Very, very strange. So. You spent 50 bucks for that? No, he wanted 50 bucks. I, I think I spent, I bought a bunch of other stuff, so okay. I, I think I got it for 30 25 okay. Big spender. Which is, yeah, I know. Okay. But you know what? I, I, You're making... I'm not exploring anything in the bargain bins right now. I'm like trying to yes. get the things that I know I love and want. Now, did you see that? Where did you see that? Uh, this was at a guy in the back right next to right. Michael. Okay. Now, the very the... friendly guy. I was like, hey, everything's special. You know, in... If you don't like the price, I'll work a deal. So it was 20% off of the 50. In the future, and we worked the deal. at these record shows, I'm going to try to get people's cards and names. Because uh, yes. otherwise we're here like, oh, this guy. Oh, yeah. that guy. Yeah, maybe oh, I have that guy's well, card. Actually. When you walk in, you go left and then that guy. Yeah. Oh, no, I no, might... no. The guy next to the other guy. Yeah. Not that guy. That guy. The other guy. Hold on. Maybe I have his card. I think I did take a card from him because he knows this what I This guy. Like. Next up, uh, George Shearing. We spoke speaking about George Shearing. He's a pianist. Blind. Yes, he <laughs> always has those dark glasses on. I, I only got this because it was like a dollar. Man, a mystery. Ooh, look and, at that. Bah, and bah, boom. in great shape. It's, La- it's Latin Lace George Shearing Quintet. It's on an original. Uh, it's beautiful. Original uh, capital. That, that meets Fidelity standards. Oh, yeah. I think you even looked at it. Uh, this came out in 1958. I'm, I'm be- I believe that. Does this have vibes on it? See. Is it like that? Do, 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 do. has like Mambo number two, Kali Mambo. It's like Latin. I'm not a big Latin percussion guy. Mm. It was a rogue choice. I got it really inexpensive. For a buck. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. You know what they say. For a buck. What the heck? <laughs> What's next? Uh, got to move it along. All right. Ooh, one of my favorite bands oh, to the collect. the Ventures. The Ventures. Guitar genius of the Ventures. Now, what's collectible about this? Uh, it's not collectible. I, I like it. I'm very into them at the moment. Who, what label is that on? This is on the uh, ooh, on the uh, oh, the Sunset label. They recorded on a bunch of labels. Okay. So this is instrumental surf like music. Oh yeah, yeah. It, Early it, on in their career, they were doing a lot of originals or obscure covers, okay. and then later in their career, they started doing more uh, hits covers. Is it a compilation? Uh, this I don't know. I'm not sure. And they but, did all the hits like Walk, Don't Run, stuff like that. Yeah, that was like their big claim to fame. But, you know, a lot of early um, uh, rock and roll guys used the Ventures as a touchstone for yes. their, uh, you know, hey, I wanted to play guitars like the Ventures. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, a, lot of, a lot of early rock and roll guys listened to these guys. So, yeah, this, no, this is not a What's this album called? It's called The Guitar Genius Of. Yes. So anything you hear on this podcast, you can go to YouTube and type in what we're, the album we're mentioning and probably find... I got that for $4. Some guy. $4. Streaming it. $4 in pristine condition. And all those mm. records, heavyweight vinyl. Oh, okay. That's the thing. I also could, I could recommend Spotify. I really love Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, my dad had that record. For real? Yes. This is Ella Fitzgerald sings the Gershwin songbook. Uh, this is... What'd uh, you pay for that? A mono 1959 mono. recording. Oh, what'd you pay? A lot? Oh, just no. Pennies. Three dollars. It's ridiculous. That record I was bidding on, not even in mono, and it went. It sold for like thirty bucks. No, I'm sure. On Ebsbeb, say. I'm sure. This is. I don't know if you ever experienced this. This type of scenario. One time. Uh, it's a little scratchy. Let me see. Like it's poppy and scratchy. I cleaned it. Mm, yeah. But there's no scrapes on it. No. You you need to get a deep groove cleaning. There's a guy on eBay you can send your records to. What's that vacuum machine that really expensive? Ah, so crazy for me. This, it costs like two grand. You could send him your records. He will clean them for like two bucks a piece. No kidding. You should try one and see how it okay. works. Try it. You'll like yeah, it. Try it, Jimmy. Next up, 
Next up, ooh, first pressing Kate Bush. I was a little jealous. The kick inside. Yeah, the cover's a little bit boogered up on the back. Kate Bush, the kick inside original pressing. Yeah, the the um, it still have, has the shrink wrap on it, but the shrink wrap has started to like yellow and adhere. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like somebody tried to pull it off, and it started to rip the cover. And this is what 1978, 79, I believe. 79. Was this produced yeah. by David Gilmore? Oh, 78. You're right. Uh, no, it wasn't produced by David Gilmore, but he. Uh, discovered her and produced some demos for her, I believe. Uh, gotcha. And then brought her to the record label. Right. So this has the crazy eye, half eyeball hanging on a kite cover with Kate Bush scantily clad. Oops, sorry. Um, so the American release had her sitting in like, what do you call those things? The knee things that go up to here that they use when they dance, the girls. Uh, uh, yes. What do you call them? I don't know. Knee socks or something, you know, that you dance when you're warming up. Like flash dance, all flash dance and stuff. The only thing I have to say is if you go to YouTube and search Kate Bush videos, some yeah. of them are really crazy. Yeah. Like looking at them now. Babushka really is a crazy, crazy album. Sat in Your Lap is a crazy one. She's yeah. wearing the dunce cap. And yeah. I'm a big Kate Bush fan. Yeah, me too. So whenever I see one of her things. Uh, Once Donald Sutherland started yeah. showing up in her videos, it was cloud kind of, bursting. Yeah, kind of the end. Yeah. She's and she's playing a little boy in the video. <laughs> and she's it's a co- crazy. And she's come back right in the last few years, like a, a new had, LP yeah. and everything. Our UK friends will hopefully. I think we met one guy, or one guy wrote us a letter from the FPP who saw her at the show, paid like four hundred bucks a ticket. Oh. She put on a week's worth of show or a couple of shows. Her first show in like thirty years or something. What show? Next up, here's an LP I got. I mean, I just saw it. It was really inexpensive. Julie London, Lonely Girl. Got that one. It's a good one. This you were with me when I bought this. Yes. This was only a few bucks. Yep, the guy didn't know what he had. No, <laughs> what's the, what's the condition? Well, first of all, you know that if it's got one of those plastic inner sleeves, it's going to be in good shape. Yes, and it is. Uh, this is a beautiful shape. Let I played see. it. There are no scratches, no pops, no dings. Oh, it's awesome. It is right. Yeah, there's a couple of scratches here. That doesn't show up on the play. But back. her records are really hard to find in good shape. This is Julie London. She is a uh, mid 1950s. She played Dixie McCall on Emergency in the 70s. Yeah, she did. With her then husband, Bobby Troop, who used to play with her. That's right. Yeah. This is 1956 mono, uh, and this came out uh, three years later in 59 as a stereo. This is the mono. So this is the I original. got the stereo. Yeah, I didn't see that. Otherwise, I would have grabbed it from your paws. Some bitch. Yeah. What's up? Can I talk about one thing I didn't get? Look at this. You can hold it. Oh, my God. You didn't get this at the show. No, I got it off of eBay. What is this, a book? I had to talk this about is... it. It's a book oh and two oh. LP companion called, I'm going to get I'm going to pronounce it wrong, The Pentateuch. What is this? By uh, David Greenslade, who was in a band, an early prog band, Greenslade. They have four or five albums out. But this is a um, collaboration, a book Music collaboration. Oh uh, it tells the story of the Pentateuch of cosmologically oh or whatever it is. It's, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's a very thick coffee table LP-sized book with about maybe 50 pages in it. Double LPs, pristine condition. How much? 40 buck. Whoa. These sell for a lot of money on the bay. Although one just sold for $26. I was now, have pissed. you purchased the Mike Nesmith The Prison yet? No, nah, it's 50 bucks. Okay, well, you can pay forty for that, but not fifty for the prison. Yeah, it's Mike Nesmith. Oh, jeez. I'm, I'm he- oh, easy. Oh, sorry. I'm heavily into Greenslade right now. Trying to slip. You try to slip one in. 
That wasn't from the show. It like, wasn't. But I had to talk about it just because the packaging is amazing. All right, next up. If you ever see this record, it's a double LP and companion <laughs> book all in one. If you ever see it, get it. Okay, so you, you get another turn. Oh, okay, really? Yeah. Ha, 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 stupid. One of my favorite albums. Oh, one album you hate. No, I don't hate. Oh, I just, you said you didn't like it so much. I, they were over by then. Uh, no, Draw the Line by Aerosmith is, is their the, last. You draw the line at Draw the Line. You draw the line at Draw the Line. And one of the reasons I like this is uh, it's got like their first. Oh, jeez. There's okay. all my eBay notifications no, going no, off. No, no. You can't oh, look at it now. Sealed Lodger ends in 25 minutes. You have 25 minutes. We'll be all done. Right. This has their first prog-like song on it called Kings and Queens. It's uh-huh. got use of synthesizers. Uh, like uh, violin pads, and it's a song about uh, you know medieval things. Okay, which you don't hear on the Aerosmith. What album? album? What year this come out? Seventy uh, seven. Okay, this is at the height of their drug use. Okay, but <clears throat> every song blends into each other. Oh, okay, beautifully. that is good. Great album. And that and dude who did the drawing on the cover, he used to Al work, Hirschfield. He worked for the uh, New York uh, Daily News. It's one of those. No, for the Times. He was a very prominent yeah. caricaturist. So I remember when this album came out. The, the heading went something like, you know... You know that you're a good band when you get Al Hirschfield to draw your album cover. Look at Joe Perry. Yeah. These are pretty good caricatures, by the way. Uh, they really are. And it's a white cover, so it's really hard to find a white cover in good shape from the 70s. Now, are they, is this band, stuff. the original members, still together? All those original dudes? Yes. Original dudes? Yes. Brad Whitford, Joey Kramer. You've got to give them a lot of credit for yeah. like sticking together. And look at the inside sleeve. It's nice. It's nice, heavy cardboard inner sleeve. I remember they all broke up and Joe Perry left. I'm really happy they yeah. got it all back together. They got their wits about them. I saw them on the Pump Tour yeah. back in the 90s when Dude Looked Like... Oh, it was, they were awesome. Yeah. Steven Tyler was fantastic. They're one of my favorite bands from the 70s, wow. rock bands. Album de- design, John Berg, cover art, Al Hirschfield. Al Hirschfield. All right, yeah, very Produced nice. by Jack Douglas, who produced John Lennon's last album. Next up... Sinatra Sinatra. You and your Sinatra. I'm going to tell you a quick story about Sinatra Sinatra. Sinatra Sinatra came out in 1963 when uh, Frank uh, poured it over to his own imprint, which was called Reprise Records. Right. He started that label. He did. I was amazed to find that out. Started Reprise, uh, and then he sold it to Warner Brothers. Oh. So he started Reprise, and the reason this is called Sinatra Sinatra, because these are a collection of Frank's favorites that he couldn't release on his own because Mm. they belonged to Capitol and to Columbia. Are these redos of them, or are these are a compilation? These are re- brand new re-recordings. Really? Recorded in stereo. Wow, stereo. Because all of the previous uh, Columbia and Capitol uh, versions of these songs were mono. Mm. And it, the wee small hours of the morning was mono? Yes. Huh. It's quite good, and it's an original issue because... It's got like a booklet in there or something? Gatefold. Ooh, you never see a Frank Sinatra gatefold. That. Except the main event, maybe. Is that a gatefold? I don't have the main event. What? I'm not up on the Burpees labels or what they look like. That's first press because it's multicolor. You know that. Two-color reprise, yeah. Okay. That's what I know about reprise. Like Jimi Hendrix first editions are two-color. Kinks first editions, two-color. Steamboat. Now, we don't know everything out there. No, we know what we know. But if you you search it, there are guys who have these awesome websites where they actually Mm. show the imprints. Like we looked at Capital. What year... Reprise and what they look like because guys like Neil Young were on pre- reprise. Yep. So. And the Hendrix. Next up, there's no way Frank Sinatra would allow Jimi Hendrix on his label. That was way after he sold it to Warner Brothers. That guy's got to get a haircut. Get <laughs> that girl off my label. Next up, two Ooh. jam records. Now, as we spoke last podcast, yes. I'm, I'm 
in the process you, of finding jam. You are the jam guy. All of my editions uh, are U.S. First Press. Okay. But I got, this is the Modern World U.S. First Press. Yes. Nine bucks. Okay. Not bad. Good. Paid a little bit more for the uh, first U.K. Press with the original inner sleeves in mint condition. What's that album called? In the City. In the City, there's a lot of things I want to say to you. Okay. Um, in beautiful condition. These guys so, never got back together? The jam? No. Bruce Foxen, I think, in England does uh, his version of the jam. He wrote very few songs for the jam. Okay. Most of it is Paul they, Weller. They, those guys don't talk anymore? I don't know. Paul Weller's like, you know, the Dude, godfather. He's doing his own thing. He's, yeah, he's doing his own thing. But I, th- I read a, re- a recent review with him where he's kind of looking back and softening up a bit. So, who knows? Okay, next up, this is Ella. It's called Ella and Louie Together. Actually called Ella and Louis Together. El- oh. Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Uh, I looked up online. I could not find this cover of this at all. No one has this cover. And maybe this is part of a set. Yeah, that's weird. I never saw uh, that. 1957. A few years earlier, Verve out. It's on the Verve label. Verve put out uh, Ella and Lewis. Mm. This is Ella and Lewis again. No shit. But the problem <laughs> with this LP is the LP is sides three and side four. Huh? Well, maybe the first edition is side one and two. See, it says volume two. Yeah. Ella and Louie again. Yeah. So maybe they yes. reissued both of them singly. One, two, three, four. Huh. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't think so. No, I'm thinking since it's volume two, they yes. labeled it sides three and sides yeah. four. It's, out, it's outrageously good. Cool. This is really good. Uh, now, where did you find that? Do you look in specific jazz bins, or are you just looking in the $2 bins? I walk up to a guy. Yeah. And, and you tell I, him what you want. No, and I, and I just look for the card that says jazz. Oh, okay. I go right to jazz. And that's where you find George sharing. Some guys, like the $2 guys, $1 guys, I'm like, you got any jazz? And they're like, they're all mixed in. Yeah, that's a pain. Yeah. Next up, Stevie Wonder, fulfilling this first finale, gatefold. What does that mean? Is this, is... I don't know. It's Stevie Wonder fan. No, you not a Stevie Wonder fan? You just bought it? I am a Stevie Wonder fan. This, Music of My Mind and Inner Visions, I'm like mid-70s Stevie fan. Yep. I don't have Talking Book or, you know, The Secret Life of Plants or whatever that was called. But I got this one for, it said eight bucks. I got it for four. Okay, good. Um, It's First Press Tamla. Okay, that's the label, Tamla? Yeah, so nice, thick vinyl. Nice and thick. It's got no hits on it, though. <laughs> no hits. But it's, uh, you know, look, he's still kind of little Stevie. Yeah, like it's a, it's a you it's, know. This is a transitional album from him, okay. from Little well, Stevie yeah. Wonder to Big Stevie Wonder. Next up, this is a 1965 compilation on the Metro label. Compilations. It's called The Melodic Stan Getz. And Metro. Melodic. The Melodic Stan Getz. So how does that differ from his other albums? It's a compilation, like a greatest hit. Oh. Now, I owned this previously, but it was so scratchy. I bought it a few years ago before I was, I was you know, much less picky. Yeah. Because all I had was like the, uh, what do you call that? The, the, the turntable you carry away. Oh, like a Crosley? I had a Crosley a few Ugh. years ago. I didn't really care. So yes. I, I rebought it. I got it at the show, watch show, this show, uh, uh, $2. Metro, the label it's on, is a budget label of MGM launched in 1965. Mm. And MGM... They did some reissues from the Verve family of LPs. I see. So they're in cahoots somehow. So the Verve reissues are on Metro Records, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers, or uh, MGM. MGM, yeah. Interesting. I don't know if that's all true. It's all, well. I'm just telling you what the web says. All right. You can't always trust the web. I never heard of Metro. Yeah. They got the Ben-Hur soundtrack. Yeah, it says right on the back there. Do you like looking at the little inserts of what other records are available from that label? I do. 
I keep I keep the inserts, and yeah. then I put a nice new right. plastic one after I clean my yes. piece. You lick it? How do you clean? Yes. It? Oh, with your disc, disc cleaner. cleaner. What do you got next? Uh, well, that's it. I just okay. have the, uh, the the Frank Sinatra variant covers. If you wanted to talk about, those. let me just barrel through these real quick because I got more. This is uh, Miles Davis, a 1974 compilation. Mm. Uh, the clue of what year this was released for me was that it says compatible on stereo and four-channel quadraphonic. Yeah, when did that all come into 74. Being? Really? Yeah. So I looked it up. This was hard to find looking up. It's on Everest Records. It I don't is, know any of those songs. Everest Records put out a on series. On Night in Tunisia, no. They put out a series of LPs. Like, each album was an artist. Yeah. So my, this, is their, this is Everest Miles Davis LP. Quadraphonic. It's, no, it's, it's not. It's stereo. Oh, it says four-channel quadraphonic. Ca- compatible. Oh, Compatible. For stereo and... Let's see if this is mono. No. I think these are mono recordings, quite frankly. It says compatible with quadraphonic. But look at this. This is Miles Davis. Yeah. Here's like, you know, mid, mid-life like, Miles. Yeah. These were recorded in 1947. Yeah, these are all real old. Really old recordings. And they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Miles Davis was the man. I didn't think I bought more LPs than you. You did, for sure. Really quick. Nat King Cole. And spent less money. the thing. A ton less. Yeah. This is April 1957. How's that one? It's pristine, and it's on the black capital, the dark gray capital. So what label. does that mean? Is this 70s or original? No. This is, I'm guessing this is original pressing. 50? 1957. Oh. Beautiful. It's nice. Great album. Nat yeah. King Cole, Love is the Thing. Is it a mel- mellow album? You just, yeah, you just melt into your couch. Really? And it really notice All right. It? Well, next record show, if you see some good Nat King Cole that I have to get, you're going you're gonna to turn me on, right? Oh, yes. All right. Okay, this is uh, Bl- uh, Blue Note Gems of Jazz. It's a compilation from 1967. I don't like buying compilations. I Why do you like them so because much? Because the sam- they're like sampler albums. I know. I understand. So I, could, I, I just saw, this was said like a dollar. So yeah. it's in great shape, a dollar. 1967, but everything was recorded between 1947 and 1953. Mm. So this gives, just gives me an opportunity to get like a sampling. Why do you think uh, they would... Reissue those recordings in the in the seventies, sixty seven or sixties, from uh, like fifteen, ten, fifteen you know, years ago. There is a you know we talked about like big business a few uh, big business uh, a few hours ago when we had that letter. <laughs> um, you know uh, companies yeah. they need a product, they yeah. just needed a new product. Well, I guess you throw a Miles Davis name. Miles Davis was popular in any decade. That he played, so... And here's my last pick. This is Dave Brubeck Quartet. Jazz Impressions of New York. Uh, came out in 1965. This is a stereo issue. And this is Dave Brubeck's Themes to Convey the Urban Personality of New York. Hmm. And this is his classic quartet. He played with uh, Paul Desmond on sax, mm-hmm. Eugene Wright on acoustic bass, and Joe Morella on drums. So this Joe Morella gave drum lessons to the guy I take drum lessons get from. Get out of here. Yep. Is Joe Morella alive or passed? No, dead. That's too bad. Dave always seemed to be on Columbia Records. It's in great shape. I think it's an original pressing. Mm. I'm very pleased. Yeah. That is it for me? Yeah. I'd like to keep talking, John, but we are now... Well, can I just get over with this Frank Sinatra? Over an hour. Uh, all, right, all right, next yeah, time, next time. Not- one, one last one. All right. Just two different pressings of Frank Sinatra's Songs for Swinging Lovers. By the way, this album, <clears throat> Song for Swinging Lovers, the LP, the, the art on the LP, yeah. not the front art, is the type of art that will scare a small the child. The back or the front? Front. Yeah, it's kind of Especially weird. The, not that one, the other one. Yeah. 
That's weird uh, looking. Yeah, you know why? Why? Because it's Japanese. Oh. No, change... no, no, no. Wait a minute. Yeah. This also came out. The original American first pressing also had has that. Has that side face? Yes, that's right. Ah, but he looks a little bit more Asian there. Uh, John's saying that the a- John's saying that the Asian For the Asian market. You know what? We're going to bring that back on another show. I'm okay. going to get an American version of it. All right, good. And then we'll compare. Yeah, uh, because on the American version I have, he's looking towards the couple like, "Hey, where to go, buddy? Exactly. You got your <laughs> swing and love at night going." And the other one, he's looking off in the distance as if he's singing, and it's a, I. What I have, I got from Mark Dalzell, <laughs> which is a Japanese pressing. My first and only Japanese pressing, by Mark the way. had the Japanese pressing? Yes. He had a whole bunch Why? of records. Why He's he like, take what you want. He bought a bunch of stuff down at uh, Princeton. In Princeton? Uh, What's the name yeah. of that? Princeton Record Exchange. Oh, yes. So he bought a bunch of stuff. I got some Coltrane from him. I got some Does Frankie. he have any more? Uh, not, you cleaned them not out. Not really. So, uh, and supposedly Japanese pressings are far superior. So we'll find ah. out. Ah, you Hey, I want to thank everyone for joining us on this Vinyl Record Podcast, our second installment of our, uh, what do you call this? Uh, podcast? No. Oh, you know, these are pilots. Our analog. Season of analog. <laughs> Whatever. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Oh, oh. That's how you can get in touch with us. Please do write to us, and hopefully yeah. we will see you next time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Okay. Okay.